Hi, friends. You're listening to Episode 3 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. I'm so glad that you're back this episode because you are once again going to see another aspect of God's character that you might never have noticed before. This week we're going to be taking a look at how God introduced himself not only to the Egyptians but to the Hebrews as well through signs. Now these signs that God chose, he could have chosen anything, but for some reason he chose three magic tricks. That's right, magic tricks. The first one was this rod that would turn into a serpent and then turn back into a rod again. The second one was taking your hand, placing it into your cloak, pulling it out, and now your hand is covered with leprosy, putting it back in your cloak, pulling it out, and now your hand is healed again. And the third one is taking a vessel of water from the Nile and then pouring it out. And while it's pouring out of the vessel, you see it's water, you pour it out while it's midair, it changes into blood. Now, like I said, God could have chosen any signs. Why did he pick these three tricks? And these are things that he gave to Moses to do. Why would it be these three? You're going to have a great time as you listen to the community wrestle with this. In fact, you're going to hear a couple of people who, I'm just going to give you a hint, they're highly educated. And in fact, one of the guys you hear from, and you'll be able to probably tell, this guy is is a full-time archaeologist and geologist. This guy really knows his stuff. We have such an incredible community of, of people of just incredible knowledge and insight. And so I can't wait for you to hear what some of the community members share. But I also want you to ask a very important question. As you look back at these signs, there's some things you probably missed. For example, which one of these three was never used for the Pharaoh? And why would God create a sign, some magic trick that that resets over and over again? By the way, all three of them reset over and over. So Moses could do them over and over and over again. Why? Why did God set it up that way? And secondly, why did God include one trick that was specifically for the Hebrews? Why did the Hebrews need a trick? I can't wait for you to find out why. So I invite you to sit back, relax, get ready to get to know the character of God even more as we take a look at why would God introduce himself by these three initial magic tricks. Welcome to the Bible Lab. Anybody in here know how to do a magic trick? An illusion. Make a coin disappear. Make a hanky disappear. Make the salt shaker on the table disappear. Probably one of the worst mistakes I ever made when I started teaching. Now, this is about 19 years ago. Uh, when I started teaching, I, I taught up at Sacramento Academy. And uh, it was my third year of teaching at the Academy. And one of the students came in. His name was Michael. He was all excited one day. He's like, Pastor Ice, Pastor Ice. I, I saw this guy on TV, his name is David Blaine, and, and he did these crazy tricks. He did this, and he did that. Do you know how he did that? And I was like, yeah, I, I, I think I know how he did that. And then he, he goes through all these ones until he finally gets, no, no, but the previous TV ser- uh, special that he did, he floated, man, he floated. Do you know how he did that? I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I know how he did that one. 
Because in those days, we had these things called VCRs. Remember those things? And I wore out a VHS tape over and over again watching because David Blaine had done this trick where he'd, he'd be outside, nothing around. And he'd turn to the people and say, watch. And they'd start floating up in the air. People would start freaking out and running away. Oh, my goodness. And on the, on the TV, they would have these different shots showing him, you know, but not showing his feet. And then they'd show some shots where it just zoomed in on his feet. And his feet came off the ground, both of them about this high. And then he'd come back down. And people would scream, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, I was really curious because I'm extremely skeptical, okay, very skeptical. Uh, those of you that, that listened to the Wednesday warm-up uh, this week, you, you know, you know the background of uh, my friend when I first started pastoring. He had a magic store. And so I was like, how do you make a handkerchief disappear? How do you do this? And as I saw the little gimmicks, I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? By the way, for those of you who are new, every Wednesday, we have a Wednesday warm-up. It's five to eight minutes that preps you for the discussion. And so make sure uh, that you sign up for the email so you can get the link and the notification. So here I am at the, at the school. Michael runs up and says, he floated, he floated. Do you, know, do you know how he floated? I say, yes, I did. And Michael does this. <laughs> like my teacher is such a blowhard. My teacher is acting like he knows something he doesn't really know. Well, I had spent the time wearing out this, this videotape saying, what, what, how do you do that? How do you do it? Because there had to be some harness. And how could these people not see the wires or the harness, whatever? What's, what's going on? Until watching it about the 20th time I caught it. They had a bad camera angle, an impossible camera angle, because if this camera would have actually been there at that time, it would have caught the other camera, two cameras pointing at each other, and there was nothing there. And so I knew that they had come back at a different time and shot the shot where it actually showed the feet off the ground. They cheated. Imagine that, a magician cheating. Um, and so I knew how he did it. Because all this time, everyone's saying, there's no way that he just lifted up on one toe because you wouldn't be able to see everything underneath. So I told Michael, yes, I know how I did it. He goes, and he goes and sits down. Now, this day was a, uh, was a test day. So they all took their exam, and then they were finishing their test, and Michael was sitting over here. They had these cooperative tables. It was cooperative learning was the buzzword 20 years ago. And so two students sitting at each of these little tables. And Michael's up toward the front, and when uh, he turns in his test, he's one of the first people done with the test, and, and so I just want to play with him, and so I, I, I set his test down on my desk, and I turned to Michael, I said, you know, just to make sure I'm understanding, maybe it's a different trick you're, you're thinking about, was it this one where he went, watch, and I did the little thing, and, and back down. Michael got so scared, he jumped over the desk behind him and ran out of the room. Aww. Now, mind you, 75% of the uh, students are still taking the test. It totally disrupted. I, one of the reasons why you're supposed to work in a profession a long time is because it gives you wisdom and perspective. <laughs> I had just begun my career. I had neither wisdom nor perspective. And so I didn't realize how inappropriate it was what I just did until the moment that it happens. Now I have to clean it up. So he runs out. 30 seconds later, he runs back and he goes, dude, you floated, you floated. And all the students say, why, 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 what happened? Do it again, do it again, do it again. And I'm like, I'm trying to act really exhausted. Like it just took a lot of energy. Whew. Whew. 
I don't think I could do it again. That's, that's pretty rough. And so he's coming in, and, and I said, Michael, how, how, far, how far did I float? And I put my hands, like, you know, uh, 9 to 12 inches apart here. How, how high did I float? And he goes, man, it was so big. I could have put two phone books under, under your feet. I could see the floorboard. I could see the wall. I could say, wow, you floated. You did it. I, th- I didn't think you could do it, but you did it. So all the kids hear this, that Michael could see the wall underneath. He, of course, he couldn't. Because I was just going up on one toe. It just looks like it. If you get the right angle, it looks like it. It's a little illusion. But here, I was playing along with it. And you know, I, was, I was like 28, 27, 28 years old. So I was immature. And so it was like, do it again. Float, 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 float. And I was like, hey, hey, shh, shh. got to be quiet. Finish your task. Turn it in. They finish their task. Turn it in. And they leave. And I think, man, that is funny. That is the funniest thing I've ever done. Not realizing that the next day, it would all explode. I had these parents uh, in my office, <laughs> one couple, their daughter was in that class, and I'm, I'm there after school, sitting in my office, and they're saying, are we to understand you were using the dark arts in Bible class? And I'm like, no, no, it's all a misunderstanding. No, no. I, I said, look, I'll show you, and I went up, I went to her, and, and they said, no, no, that's not what you did. The students could see the wall. The students said, you were using spiritualism. No, no, no. And students in class are saying, oh, I know how we did it. I know how we did it. You, you, you see, if you tighten up the muscles in your back, and they start going through all these you know, descriptions of how you can do it. And, and, you know, I've heard once that, you know, gravity, it's, it's just in your mind. And other students are saying, no, he's just going up on his toe. And other people say, no, you can see the wall. You can see the wall. And it exploded. In fact, years later, when I was chaplain at PUC, I had um, some freshmen come in, and they were younger siblings of students that I had in class. And, and they stopped me and pulled me backstage and said, um, we understand you can fly. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you want to learn? Horrible mistake. Because anyone who knows Sacramento, you, you know there's historically been uh, quite a division between ultra-conservative and, and some fairly liberal the- theology there. And because of that, it caused a real schism that, thank God, he called me to a different church far out of the area where they didn't know I could fly. (laughs) What I learned in this instance is that immediately there were a couple of groups of people. There was a larger group that believed, and they wanted to believe, because this was a sign. This was a sign that, wow, he can do something that no one else can do. How do you do it? I had a student offer me $100 to train him how to fly, and you don't know how hard it was as a poor early teacher not to accept that $100. And then I had another, a smaller group of people that said, no, we know how it's done. We know how it's done. You're just going up on one toe. And this whole other group of people says, no, 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 it's impossible. They saw the wall. They could see the wall under feet. He wasn't going up on a toe. The whole place was up in in a frenzy over the magic. Today, we have to look at how did God decide? Ultimate question. Because God decides to introduce himself through magical signs, and there's a group of people that says, that's nothing, we can do that. We'll show you how to do it. In fact, a whole group of us will do it. And so that's where we're going today. And so if you look at the very first section of the Dig Deep, I want you to read along with me. It says, to serve as signs of Yahweh's authenticity, 
God instructed Moses to do three things. Three magic tricks. First, to throw down his staff and turn it into a snake. Second, to make his hand leprous. Put it in his robe, pull it out, it's leprous, and then put it back in his robe and pull it out, and now it's healed. And the third sign is to collect Nile water, water in, a, in a little vessel. Collect Nile water in a vessel and pour it out on the dry ground, turning the water to blood. And you can find this in Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. So this brings up several questions. Okay, God gives him three signs. This is how you will convince people of who I am. A group of people that don't know who I am. So first of all, we have to ask this question. Why do you think God chose these signs as proof of his existence? If you want to comment, raise your comment card. If you have a question, raise your question card. Why do you think God chose these three signs as proof of his existence? He could have done anything. Why a staff to a snake? Why a healed hand to a leper's hand to a healed hand? Why taking water from the Nile and turning it to blood. Why do you think God chose those three? Read your cards. It's to expose the things that they had done in the past. If you actually look at the past, even to the Nile to blood, if you remember that one pharaoh had children killed and thrown into the Nile, it's to remind pharaoh of what he had done. Wow, that is profound, Elizabeth. I'd never thought of that. Never thought of that. That's great. Ro. Um, the pharaoh uh, um, wore a, a cap yeah. that had a serpent yeah. um, drawn or yeah. sculpture there, yeah. uh, symbolizing power. And he was the head of, uh, you know, he was the, the most important god, yeah. symbolized by a serpent. Yeah. By transforming the serpent back into a staff, God was saying, you're nothing compared mm. to me. Absolutely. And uh, the la- I, I don't know about the second, the hand one. I yeah. haven't th- thought of you know, <laughs> enough, maybe. Uh, but and the last one, the Nile, t- the water, yeah. the Nile was, um, was considered life for, uh, for um, the Egyptians. Absolutely. It was the source of life. They would worship the Nile. And God was saying, I have control over it. Yeah. The ultimate control is in my hands, mm. is, is me. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Back here. I, I agree with the gentleman. I thought of life as a Nile. Mm-hmm. Um, the serpent had been around since the beginning in the story of Adam and Eve yes. and the, the uh, fall of, of humankind. And I think there was a control and a, a, using a serpent in, in Egypt also demonstrated control of God's power of a destiny and, and manifestation in that. And I'm not sure about the hand either. Yeah, awesome. Yes. Go ahead, Eli. Uh, I think it's pointing to, to uh, Jesus in the future. Uh, the, the, the snake represents the devil. The hand represents our sinful nature, and the blood represents uh, salvation. Yes. It's interesting to know. I, I'll, I'll go over here, and then I'll, and I'll share what I was going to. Okay. It's interesting to note a couple of things have come up in this conversation. Back here, he said about the snake. <laughs> Do you realize that the introduction to the fifth day of creation, 
the very first animal that is ever listed in Scripture is the snake. Hmm. Tenon is, is, is the word, tenon. It's the word that's used for the serpent before the devil gets a hold of it. I believe it's Nakash is the, uh, is the snake after the devil gets a hold of it. It's interesting in Exodus, and I don't, I don't want to push this too far, but it's interesting to note that when Moses goes before Pharaoh and the staff becomes a serpent, it uses tannin. The same introduction that humanity had to the snake that God created at the beginning that showed God's creative power of creating animals is the tannin. And when Moses introduces Pharaoh and the Egyptians to the snake, it's tannin, the way God intended the snake. When Moses introduces the staff to serpent to the Hebrews, it uses nachash, which many theologians say it represents when Moses touches it, and picks it up by the tail, and it becomes a staff again, it shows God's power over what the snake became. It's super deep. If you run, I don't want us to go too crazy with it, but it's interesting to note that they use the two different terms, the term tannin when it's used with the pharaoh, and the chash when it's used for the Hebrews. There's two different serpents represented. David, hang, hang on a second, buddy. All right, go ahead, David. This is only a question. Are you saying that when Pharaoh saw the snake, he saw what the snake looked like before Adam and Eve sinned? I wish, but I don't think he did. Okay. I, I wish. But the terminology was the same as the very first animal listed in Genesis chapter 1 is tannin. Right. Genesis chapter 2 is the other name, Nakash, I believe is what it is in Hebrew. Right. Yeah. Back here. To answer your question, those three things, you know, the, the staff and the uh, leprous hand and the nile, very familiar to them. God uses our familiar mm-hmm. um, items to do his extraordinary thing. Yes. He uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. Thank God. That means he can use us. Right? All right. I find it a bit disturbing that we as human beings always need signs. And in Old Testament, you have repeated requests for signs. Mm. Even Christ was being asked for signs over and over and over again. And even Christ complains that there are generations. Christ that is complaining yeah. about this and they keep asking for it. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the question is okay, what kind of a sign would be sufficient? Mm. And after these signs, well, first of all, you recall that Moses didn't even want to go. He felt like, who's going to believe me? I mean, so God says, all right, so you do a few things, so they'll believe you. The problem is that when we don't like something, we have a way of explaining it, no matter how unbelievable it is. Yeah. We... We have a way of pursuing what we want. Yeah. In spite of all the evidence to the contrary. And that is our problem. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. 
let's, uh, let's step to the hand. First of all, we look at the serpent. It's been mentioned um, here that it was a sign. The Pharaoh wore a serpent right at the front. You think of this if you think of if you were to wear an Egyptian costume, you'd have to have on your headdress right at the front and center above your forehead, you'd have to have this cobra, right? Right there in, in the front. Wadjet is one of the names of this almighty powerful God of Egypt, thought to be one of the most powerful there on the surface of the earth. And Wadjet was represented by a serpent. And so it being one of the most powerful gods, the Egyptian pharaohs had adopted the symbolism of the serpent to prove the power of God. And so many theologians and rabbis look at this and say, um, the reason why God started his very first introductory sign of having power over the serpent is because he wanted to tell Pharaoh and all the people of Egypt, including the Hebrews, that God Yahweh was more powerful than God Wajet. And because of that, it would be a sign of power and control. And so that's the first one. The second one is a little bit more difficult. Have you ever noticed that the second one, the leprous hand, it's never mentioned as being used as a sign to Pharaoh? He, does, he throws down, and another thing to note is whose rod is thrown down in front of Pharaoh? It's Aaron's rod. Man, we could do a whole series on Aaron's rod. Of all the things that happens with Aaron's rod, you know, and ultimately budding almonds and showing that he's uh, to, to be the high priest, and a bunch of stuff with Aaron's rod. Very, very cool stuff. We see Aaron throw down his rod. It becomes a serpent. And then Pharaoh says, that's no big deal. My guys can do that. Hey, guys, come on in. Do that, uh, that staff to a snake trick. And I'm like, what trick? Oh, staff. Turn a staff into a snake. Okay, we'll be right back. They go get whatever they need. They come back and reproduce the miracle. We're going to come back to that. What do you think the leprous to healed hand means? Many of you had said, I don't know. It's, it's the second sign that God gives to Moses to say, this is how people will know that I'm real. Many theologians, oh yeah, back here. Let her, uh, yeah, in the yellow shirt. Well, I'm just making a guess, but leprosy was probably a disease that was known at that time, because yes. obviously it was during the children of Israel's time that they talked about, you know, they need to be isolated. Yeah. And God was probably saying, even this horrible disease, I have the power to heal. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. Anybody else? What we find here, when is the, some of the next times you hear leprosy in the Exodus story? Ah, David, back here. David, back here. When do you hear For of leprosy? For one thing, they believe that um, leprosy was something you got because of a sin that you did. Yes. It, it was your fault for getting it, which is unlike the other two things here. This yes. represented something you acquired because of something you did wrong. Absolutely. Why don't you pass it down here to David? I want to hear what he has to say. Well, I'm just, <clears throat> I'm just thinking about later in the story where Miriam and Aaron participated in a moment of questioning Moses' leadership role. And the Lord temporarily, and he made it very clear, he struck down Miriam with leprosy. 
And then uh, I remember Uncle Arthur's rendering of this, um, <laughs> which is where a lot of us get our theology. Um, and then the Lord very graciously, a week later, took it away. Um, uh, actually, I think he took it away sooner than that, but she had to spend the week outside of camp. And so I think the Lord is saying uh, leprosy is a result of rebellion. In this particular case, he's saying to Pharaoh, you're a rebel. I can put leprosy on somebody, and I can take it away as your heart is either rebellious or conforming and submissive. So that could be a possible tie-in. Absolutely. Both of you, absolutely correct. You mentioned Uncle Arthur. Um, uh, Many of us here were blessed by those stories growing up, even though the theology was a bit different than uh, Graham, who I actually modeled this class after. Um, It's it's amazing how within, within family God works with us, huh? To, uh, to, to try to help us understand his character. This sign, the leper's hand, it's believed to be a sign specifically for the Hebrews. It is a sign, just like you mentioned, that was seen as a curse. Leprosy was seen as a curse and specifically seen as a curse when you try to put yourself in position of God. When you look at Miriam and Aaron, The whole issue with Miriam was she was trying to tell Moses, I have better advice than God. I'm smarter, I'm wiser. And that's why she was struck down with leprosy. And so the symbol was to be to the Hebrews, a symbol of God that I serve can give leprosy, but the God I serve can also heal. He is in control of that. No other God is going to control the curse or the blessing. But this God, this God is in control. Yes, back here. Um, I see it also as a comment to the Egyptians as an education of Pharaoh's future choices. Pharaoh, when these plagues are coming down in the future, remember that I healed the leprous hand You have a choice. Make your choice. Which do you want, the leprosy or the healing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and the people, remember, the Hebrew mindset, especially back then, even in the time of Jesus' day, but especially back in that time, very concrete thinkers. They were not abstract thinkers. They had to have things that they could touch, feel, taste, smell, all of those things. See, thank you. Um, Otherwise, it was very hard to grasp in, in their minds. They were, they were not abstract at all. For sake of time, let's go to the next one. What, what might the Nile to blood, why might that be the ultimate convincer? Because as you look through all of the signs of God in the introduction in, in Egypt, there is a very real sense of escalation. Throughout the experience of God introducing himself, he starts really soft, and it just keeps getting more and more and more intense. So why would this third one, the Nile to blood, be the real convincer? Why do you think? Egyptian economy was based on the Nile. Yes. And God, I think, was going to, was wanted to suggest, you depend on me. Your daily bread depends on my power. Yeah, absolutely. If you were to go two miles any direction away from the Nile, It's a desert. All life came from the Nile. In fact, 
Wajet and others, Hopi and, and many others. You'd be able to list all of the, the gods related to the Nile. We're all attributed with bringing life. You'll notice in the story of the listing of what happened when the Nile actually turned to blood, you'll, you'll notice in the story it also mentions the fish. The fish were food. It was part of life. The food came to you if you were next to the Nile. You just cast a net and you got fish. The Nile was life. And for a God to have control over the God that was the life bringer, to change that life into death, very real in the Bible list, stinky death. It was God once again showing control and power. I want us to, uh, I, I want us to ask this next question. The first two signs, which is the staff to serpent and the leprous hand, healed hand, they return to their original state. What need might this serve? Why do you think God gave him something that is a trick that resets? Why would God want a trick that would reset for Moses? For the Egyptians, for the Hebrews, why might he need a trick that would reset? May not be the direct answer to your questions, but uh, most uh, ancient civilizations, including the Egyptians, believe that um, history is cyclical. Yes. And, uh, and the Hebrews were the only ones, uh, and started out, um, well, the, the idea enforced during the, the Exodus that history is linear, mm-hmm. and it does not repeat mm-hmm. itself. The Egyptians believed that, you know, there's an afterlife, and then another afterlife, and, and, uh, and God is breaking that cycle. Yeah. God is telling the Hebrews and the and the Egyptians in the same you know the same manner that no I'm in control as you know several has said here, and things do not come back now. He's he uses contrast to do yeah. that. The first few signs it reverse, you know it reverts back to its original states. But as you study the further the, the next signs, there's no reversion. Yeah. Absolutely. That's good. That's really good. Anybody else? All right. I'll tell you. (laughs) I'll tell you what commentators say. They say the biggest issue was not in convincing Pharaoh. The greatest struggle was convincing the Hebrews to back Moses. Because here their life had just gotten a lot worse. They had no more straw. They had to collect their own straw. There was more oppression upon them. The pressure was on. And Moses was starting a rebellion saying, we're getting out of here. And they had to be convinced that God was God. That it wasn't just a a leader who came and said, let's get out of here. But that there was a God, an all-powerful God in charge that would lead them out. And so it's believed that the reason why God gave Moses this resetting sign, staff to serpent, healed hand, the leper's hand, the healed hand, is because Moses had to do this over and over and over again to the fathers, the elders of the Hebrew uh, civilization there in Egypt. He had to show them. The number one question that people ask a magician is this, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again, because you want to get a different angle. I, I want to see how he did it. Okay, I was over there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come over here. I'm going to see it this time. Because I think he's doing something with his hand over here. I didn't see it. Do it again. Do it again. From every angle. 
God gave him a sign that reset, commentators believe, because Moses had to again and again prove, this is not me. Which brings us to the next question. Why do you think, I'm skipping over something, but I'm going to come back to the Egyptians' response. Why do you think in the staff and the water signs, why do you think that according to the text, this transformation takes place in, in a very unique location? It's at a distance. When does the staff, according to scripture, turn into a snake? When it hits the ground. When does the Nile water become blood? When it hits the ground. Okay? So it's at a distance. Magicians can't do that. They can make it look like it, but if you do it again and again and again, people are going to catch you, aren't they? Then they catch the, the slight, the sleight of hand, the switch, the gimmick, whatever you're doing, they're going to catch you. But God decided to do these signs as action at a distance so you can see, I'm watching this staff. And Moses is like, I'll do it slow. Seeing this thing change. When Moses has absolutely no ability to change it. God showing his power. Egyptians, uh, the, Egypt's magicians respond in kind. Not only the sign of the staff to the serpent, but all these signs, it says that the Egyptian magicians were able to duplicate it by their magical arts. In fact, one of the signs that we're going to see next week out of the different things we look at, the plague of frogs, it says they were able to duplicate that as well. Why would God choose his introduction signs to be ones that the magicians could do as well? Why do you think he would do that? Mike says it opens the dialogue. In which way? He gets all of them talking. How'd you do it? Are they doing it the same? Are they doing it different? It's interesting, and we're going to see this next week. Here's a little teaser. The next plague after the frogs is the plague of gnats. And scripture tells us that the, Pharaoh, uh, that the Pharaoh's magicians come to him and say, oh, we can't do that one. That's the finger of God. We can't do gnats. Do you want to know why they couldn't do gnats? Then you better be here next week. <laughs> I want to ask you a couple of questions in closing here. Turn over to the back side of your study guide. What signs might God employ today to introduce himself? If God were to come back today to a group of people in our world that don't know God, how might God introduce himself with the serpent? Which makes us ask, what seems to be the most powerful God in today's society? What do you think it is? Just shout it out. What's the most powerful God in society today? Money. Media, entertainment, greed, power. Yes. So the question is, how might God introduce himself utilizing that today? Second question we have to ask is the leper's hand. What are some things that society considers unchangeable? We've just become callous. That'll never change. How might God come into our society through us to show society that things can change. Through the power of God, he can change the unchangeable. 
racism, diseases, poverty, pornography, yes, the environment, Palestine, yes, I'm sorry, politics, amen. The world's not meant to get better, right? And politicians aren't supposed to show us what God is like. That's, what, that's why we're here, right? We show society what godly people are. Exactly. We don't, we don't wait for them. Nile to blood. What ultimate sign of God's authoritative power do we possess today? How is it received by the world today? And can we display this sign differently than we have in the past? That's the question I want to leave you with. I want you to wrestle with that maybe over lunch today, um, that last one. And then you'll notice the Embrace Life section. For those of you who are new, this is the area that you walk with God the next couple of days in your own personal prayer walk. Uh, have a discussion with God about these three things. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for this Bible Lab and for once again helping us to get to know your character a little bit more. Um, Lord, we know you are the all-powerful God, the, the God who is greater than all. And Lord, we also are thankful that you're a God of healing. And we just pray, Lord, that you will just help us to bring your power and your healing into the world that we connect with, our sphere of influence, our friends, our family, the people we work with. And I just pray that sometime during this week, you will help us to be your hands and your feet and to demonstrate your true light and your character as we come into contact with your people. And we pray this all in your precious name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for investing your time in getting to know the character of God by listening to this episode. I can't wait till you hear episode four, because in that episode, we talk about something that I referred to earlier in this episode. There's a sign that all the magicians of Egypt said, now we can't do that. That's the finger of God. What is it? What magic trick, what sign of God did the magicians of Egypt look at and say, we just cannot possibly do that? I can't wait for you to hear what it is next week. And so I invite you to join us for episode four. And God bless you as you continue to grow in your understanding, your knowledge, and most importantly, your friendship with your God, your maker, your king, and your savior. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab Podcast. If you are planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at Programs are recorded each Saturday at 1030 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.